Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And it's been a minute since I've been on, so I'm excited about today. I have a rock star on the show, Sandra Spurgeon. You guys are going to love her. So I need you to do me a favor. Click that share button right now and share this out to all of your friends and your family. Make sure everybody's watching and I will see you in just a minute and Sandra will join us. All right, here we go. Let me bring Sandra on. Sandra, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Ken. How are you? I am so much better. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you something. Don Hobbs introduced you and I, and I was texting him this morning saying, dude, I have Sandra on the show. And so um, I am so grateful he introduced us. Me too. I'm so glad. To, first, I'm so glad to see you doing so much better. I've been following you on Facebook and, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, but I was practicing medicine without a license, texting you, telling you what, giving you tips. So I'm so glad to see that you're doing better. But yes, well, absolutely. Yeah. I think that we're all brought together for a reason. And um, Amen. God has certainly been very instrumental in my life. And yeah. now comes Ken Walls. So, yes, uh, I I would imagine Don was wishing he was sitting right here with us. I know he's, he's amazing. But so, you know, <clears throat> we're going to get into the, the whole, um, I think I told you at one point in my, in my teenage years, I wanted to be a lawyer and I wanted to like prosecute bad people and put them away forever. Um, but my life plan worked out differently. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I think that, um, I want to start with you telling everybody where you were born and raised. Let's start there. Ken, I was born in rural Appalachia. Um, uh, the show Justified is an area that's very familiar to me as a child. I uh, was born to a coal miner and a homemaker and grew up in a little town of Wheelwright, Kentucky, um, until I guess I was raised there until my third or fourth year of grade school. And then we moved, uh, a little further down to, uh, McDowell, Kentucky. And then when my parents, um, when I was in seventh grade, my, we moved to Johnson County and Painesville, but I am a true Appalachian, as you can probably tell from this accent, I'm a true Appalachian girl. Well, I listen, I lived in West Virginia, <clears throat> which is Appalachia, um, for five years. And um I've I've heard much thicker accents. I'm just gonna leave it right there. <laughs> much. So 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 you you moved around a little bit, it sounds like a couple of times maybe as a kid. Um and it, uh, Without getting in, you know, gr into great details, 
what was it like growing up in in rural rural that's such a hard word to say rural appalachia what was it like for you growing up out 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 i mean out in the hollers right am i right about that it was uh yes it was uh we, we went up and down the as we call them hollers as we were growing up um on the school bus each day and you know at the time that um i was a little girl that seemed perfectly normal because that's all we knew yeah. and um but as i you know became uh, an adult and had the opportunity to travel and to see the world, you know, I never really forgot my roots um, yeah. because the people there are very kind, very gracious. And uh, that's something that's a skill set that I think has served me well um, during that time. But, you know, I grew up, you know, I don't ever remember having any friends over to the house, never having any sleepovers. There wasn't anything for us to, I mean, you know, the weekends were spent at home, either in the garden or, you know, helping my mom clean the house or doing the yard work outside. So, but, you know, at the time I thought that was normal. So, or that's how every kid was being raised. Um, so, and I'm grateful for my roots. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it sounds like it um, helped you um, create a really solid work ethic. Like, Well, when I, so the funny story, you know, when I, my parents, my mom took me to school, I didn't know how to read or write. And I was um, all over the board. I mean, I, you know, I would imagine in today's world, I would have been diagnosed with ADHD or something on place on some medication because they they didn't know what to do with me. Miss Rainey, I'll never forget her name. And um, so I was just always so rambunctious and they tried different things that didn't help. And what what the key was to where I am today was learning how to read. Yeah. Uh, when I learned how to read um, in first grade, my world took off. Wow. And so I never will forget my sister being embarrassed because I want the spelling bee uh, in second grade because I spelled universal. And so she, I never will forget that word. But um, so my education and the ability, I just really immersed myself into um, the world of books and learning. And it really became a solace of of coping through day-to-day -day life and still carries me today um, that it, it really, it broadened my horizon and helped me get to where I am today. Sure. Uh, and, and <clears throat> so, you know, I've, when I, as I traveled the state of West Virginia, um, which I've been in every holler in that state, I swear, um, and there's some I never will go back to. I'm just, but again, you know, I, I, I can, I can remember thinking, man, how, what would it be like growing up? I mean, there were some places that were so remote that, you know, the closest store may have been, you know, a, a 20 minute drive the way the crow flies, but it was an hour and a half because you're going through mountains and twists and turns. And, <clears throat> and I thought, what in the world would that be like growing up like that? You know? So, so when you got into like your teenage years, you get into high school, did you, did you do any sports, cheerleading, anything like that? 
I I did band. Um, I played the trumpet for a little bit, but you know, Ken, I was always very different. And I think in today's world, that's perhaps one of the messages that I'm supposed to share with in life is that it's okay to be different. Sure. Uh, when I was little, I was bullied, severely bullied in elementary school and middle school because I was so different. And, you know, there was a stereotype of what uh, of what girls were supposed to do and what boys were supposed to do. And I was never considered one of the popular kids. Um, I um, was always a nerd. Um, and in today's world, that's perfectly okay. You know, yeah. that's, that was ended up being a good thing for which I was bullied about um, as a child. I never will forget my sister was really popular. She was the major red and always. And I remember one time she fought someone uh, for me on the school bus with her baton that she'd used at majorette practice. Oh my God. Uh, I was just so meek and so um, introverted because um, my parents didn't understand that I was meant to be different. Yeah. Um, and so my, my peers didn't understand I was meant to be different. Uh, by third grade, I had read every literature textbook up through the senior year of high school. Um, so I'm I'm telling you, I had a um, just a incredible uh, appetite for learning, and um, very, just a curious George. And so it was um, I was never considered that popular kid. And you know, in today's world. People need to hear that that's okay. That's mm. all right because we all have a different purpose. Yep. And we don't know what that purpose is as young children. We just know that we were outcasts or that we were somehow different. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> and and I, I, I want to move into, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to move into some of the, 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 you know, what got you into college um, and and all of that, because I, I think that I don't know what coal miners make. Um, I've met a few and they weren't living in mansions. I know that. Um, so, you know what? Like and for me growing up in a poor family, um, college was never really a thing for me. I, like it. I don't remember ever thinking. Well, I, I took some college prep classes, but I never, um, I don't remember ever thinking, uh, I'm, hey, I'm headed to college. Here we go. Um, so I just don't, I don't remember that. What was that? Was there a, 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 a point in your high school years that you're like, I'm going to college and I'm becoming a freaking lawyer and I'm going to be one of the best in the world? May I back up just a moment before sure. high school? Yeah. Um, my dad was, um, they were, my dad was 45 when they had me. Oh, and wow. so when I was six or seven years old, my dad had a massive heart attack. Uh, and as you know, he was an electrician in the mines that, that was the only industry there. That was the only game in town. Yeah. And so I remember, um, my dad wanting to go back to work and them not letting my dad go back to work. I remember the hospital and one of my earliest memories and, I remember there was a lot of stress in the household because my dad was the only wage earner. 
And uh, my dad went to, you know, I'd love to I'd take a ride, go anywhere. And we hopped in his pickup truck and we went to this man's office. And, you know, my dad was very private. You know, one of the cultures in Eastern Kentucky is that what happens in the family stays in the family, doesn't get discussed. Yeah. And so, but here was my dad talking to this man and sharing family secrets and of what was going on. And I remember in a very, um, just my dad was really worried um, about mm. our family and their well-being. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so a few weeks later, um, my dad got a call that he had gotten his benefits. And so, and I just remember how, what a, what a relief that was for my family. Yeah. And um, so as we were leaving this man's office, he was a big, tall guy, never will forget. And he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I want to be a lawyer just like you. So time went on and I forgot the story and he had forgotten the story. And I walked as a young lawyer scheduled for a mediation, went into this, this office. Well, this big tall man was standing there and he <laughs> said, are you Warney's daughter? And I said, I am. And he goes, oh my gosh. So wow. he said, you know, when you were a little girl, you told me that you were going to be a lawyer and I really didn't think much about it. So um, through the, you know, and I, I assumed that I, now I realize that I modeled myself after Hubie Hall. So, so that so that was the that was the the thing that made like watching this big tall man is what made you go. I I want to be that. I want to be right. a, a lawyer. He was Captain America to my family at that very moment in time. Wow. So so you know so then but I hadn't remembered it. I didn't remember it. I guess it shaped who I was as wow. at a very early age knowing that he had the ability to help um, this big independent life-size figure called my dad, you know, this man was able to help him, right? Wow. So um, as I, um, so as I went through school, I was always very introverted because being me wasn't very popular. Yeah. And wow. um, so I, um, no one ever talked to me about going to college. Um, my um, dad wanted uh, me to be a secretary. So I, he, I was required to take, I took Greg shorthand. I took typing. I took every business class. I even took home ec. I thought I was going to fail home ec. Um, and, you know, so they said one day, you know, bring six uh, and number two sharpened pencils, you're going to take a test tomorrow. And I thought, what kind of test? So it was called the ACT. I had no idea before I sat down. So I took this test and um, the score came back and the guidance counselor called me into her office and said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm guessing I'm going to be a legal secretary. And that was that. Wow. So I then between after I graduated and um, my summer, the summer right after graduation, um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And my sister said, sis, why don't you go to the community college and just take some classes? 
worked at a pharmacy. I'd always worked two and three jobs all through high school, three jobs in high in my senior year um, to help, um, you know, so I could have spending money. Yeah. When there was somewhere to go to spend it. Um, and right. so I went to call that summer. I went to college and I took like American history, a very limited curriculum at this little community college. And there was a professor that um, I don't know, he he was giving his dissertation, he's giving it an overview about something. And he called on me and I gave him my opinion. And he said, who are you? And I thought, oh, my gosh, my secret is out. I'm not good enough to be here. Um, He said, "Um, what's your name? And I told him and he said, I want to see you after class. And I thought he's going to tell me that I don't fit here. Wow. So uh, Bob McAninch, my the first college professor, took me in his office and he said, who are you? And I told him again, my name. And he goes, no, but where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you here? And so I thought at first it was having to explain myself (laughs) that I I couldn't make the grade. I was going to be okay. I wasn't going to fly. And I would try real hard. Right. Um, And he said, "Um, you don't belong here. You need to get out of here. And I said, like where? And he said, you need to be at a university. And I said, I can't. My dad won't let me leave home and I don't have the money. And he, I said, my dad said I couldn't go like two or three days later, I came back and I said, my dad said I can't go until I take every class at the community college that they have to offer. And he said, and, well, and, and how old were you? 17. Okay. Um, so <laughs> He said, we'll fix that. And he goes, how many classes do you think you can take? I'm like, I don't know. And he goes, well, they're real easy here. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Load me up. So I took 27 hours the first semester, 28 hours the second semester. Are you serious? I went back to my dad and he goes, you're not going anywhere. And I said, I have to, dad. There's not any more classes I can take here. (laughs) So what did he say? uh, (laughs) What could he say? told me I couldn't go until I'd taken every class I was right. at, that at the community college. And so I'd taken them all. Oh my God. Um, they had to put me in a room and like, just had a proctor, just get me one after the other. And so, but I thought that's how everybody was. I thought that was just, I just thought that was what everybody did. I didn't wow. know. So I was just trying to find a way I was trying to find a way. I was trying to find my place and where I fit in. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't fit in. I just didn't, I knew the only thing that, that propelled me forward was that I was trying to find my place where I felt comfortable in life. And, um, so I went to UK, the university of Kentucky, and I got my uh, undergrad degree in marketing, economics, and accounting, uh, went as a junior and, uh, then went on to law school from there. Jeez. Uh, that, uh, wow. <clears throat> so the universe, you said University of Kentucky, which is over by Louisville. Is Lexington. Or? Lexington. Oh, is it Lexington? Okay. I believe blue. Can't you see? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, blue happens to be my favorite color, 
but Scarlet and Gray might be a little more of my favorite. <laughs> no. I live here. It's illegal. <laughs> like they literally, if you get pulled over and, they, and and they find out you're not a Buckeye fan, they will write you a ticket. Okay. I'm kidding. I made that up. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I've been there. It is a huge campus. Huge. Yeah. Oh, it's it's the large and, and I think it's the largest in in um in the United Well, I know it was. I don't know if it still is, but anyway, so you know, I think that and you where did you go to law school? I went to Salmon P. Chase College of Law. I uh when I graduated from undergrad, I um had applied to different law schools and um I got a call from the dean at Chase, and he asked me to come and have lunch with him. And I went up, and you know, some of the things that you you know maybe would have handled a little bit differently now, but it at the time it seemed like the right thing to do. And we had lunch, and he said, you know, we like your GPA, and we would like for you to come here. What's it going to take? And I said, sir, I have no money. <laughs> um, I don't have parents that have the money to send me. And I hear law school's really hard. I don't know that I'm going to be able to work. I've been working two and three jobs since I've been, you know, a sophomore in high school. That's and incredible. I don't know I'll be able to do it. Um, but so I need a scholarship. And he said, okay. And I said, no, I, I need you to hear me. I need a scholarship. And he said, <laughs> okay. And he, I said, I need room and board. I need tuition. I need a living, I need, I have to have that kind of support. And he said, do one thing. I said, yes. He said, make me proud. And I said, yes, sir, I will. Wow. So Dean Schneider, through education, through just one person taking an interest every step of the way, made that difference for me. I wasn't any different from any of those uh, girls in my typing class. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully disagree, and this is what I'm what I'm gonna say about it. I think the difference is you were brave enough to say I need a scholarship. Most kids wouldn't have said that. Most kids would have been like too proud to say I need a scholarship. So good on you for for taking that that step. Oh, I uh, it doesn't end there. I went so I went to the so. I asked my, talked to my mom and dad. My dad said, women are not supposed to be lawyers. What? Said, you need to be a teacher so you can have the summers off. Or you need to be a secretary. Come on, so dad. You have your family. You can be with your family. I mean, it, it made sense to him. He was looking out for his baby, for his, yeah. for his child, right? And, and I was incensed. So I went to, I didn't tell him. But I went to his bank and tried to get a loan. And I never will forget them. I kept sitting there and sitting there. And the loan officer came out and I said, what's taking so long? And about that time here, my dad came through the door and said, what do you think you're doing? And I said, dad, if you're not going to help me, I'm going to get a loan to go to school because I'm going to law school. Oh, my goodness. The next step was. And is that he took me to a lawyer's office. He had talked to this lawyer and asked him to tell me that law school was not for women. Wow. That it would be too hard. 
And so he didn't realize that everything he did was just making me more determined and more determined to go. Yeah. So I was at this lawyer's office and I felt so bad for him because. The um, lawyer? Yes. He was supposed to be like killing my dream, right? <laughs> and he couldn't do it. He could not do it. Oh, my God. Okay. That's awesome. So, um, again, after graduating from law school, several years later, I was this lawyer that I had spoken with that didn't kill my dream was now a judge. Oh no. And I was trying a case in front of him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he said, uh, I was finishing up a closing argument and my, and he said, Miss Spurgeon, you have a visitor in the back of the courtroom. And it was my dad. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So, so he uh, came up front and he said after the jury was out deliberating and I thought it was going to be that moment. Right. I thought it was that moment where he was going to say, you were smart enough. You were brave enough. I'm proud. Uh, he said, uh, well, baby, you did a pretty good job. <laughs> but next time, <laughs> I think you need to try to go at it this way or this angle. <laughs> but he, was, he he picked up an honorary law degree as he like <laughs> he did he did he did and in his later years um um my way of relating with him was going and telling him some of the stories you know everything that was happening to me uh was like a little pioneer in in the world for in my family because I was the first one with an advanced degree in my entire family on both sides. Wow. And so um, it was. Um, <laughs> Look at oh, what I Jay did. Fox said. I did. I did plenty of times. I did. I know. He's saying what your dad said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's saying what your dad said. It's better than, it, than him saying, at least you didn't screw up. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. So, you know, there's a couple of questions and, and we're definitely not done, but Victoria's asking, what was your favorite class in college? I bet it was debate. Um, in law school, it definitely would have been. Um, I was on moot court, which is like you would travel around the country doing oral arguments. Um, wow. Um, in undergrad, it was marketing. It was a marketing class, and it wasn't for the reason that you would ever think. We were given a project. We were to choose stocks, and we were to analyze the stock market. Mm. And I had so many classes because I was trying to get through. I had was on a full ride at UK also. Yeah. And so I didn't have – we were supposed to follow our chosen stocks and bonds for the entire semester. And then we had to analyze it at the end of the semester. Well, I didn't do it. So that last two weeks of class, I had to back up and analyze an entire semester. And I wrote my professor a letter. I wrote him a letter because it was a great learning moment for me that I could never fall behind like that again. Yeah. Uh, my stocks did really well and maybe he would have never known, but I owned that. And I think that um, 
that was a defining moment for me of being saying, shame on you, Sandra. You need to own that to let him know that you're doing it in retrospect. You weren't doing it prospectively. And and I got an A, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. She also wants to know, um, Victoria is a very, um, very inquisitive young lady. She is so, she asks great questions. Um, who was your favorite teacher or professor? <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, there was, I think Barbara Pennington, who taught high, my taught me high school English between adjectives and adverbs. And, you know, I, I have this penchant for uh, punctuation and it was only because she would yell and scream when I got it wrong. So, you know, I think about her, I, I laugh about that a lot. Um, I think that there were so many, uh, obviously Professor Mackinich deserves so much credit for where I am. And I haven't spoken to him in such a long time, but he does. He deserves the credit uh, for helping me pave the way because I didn't know. My right. parents didn't know. Um, so I, I would have to give him the credit. But I have to tell you, um, the strong women in my life, um, seeing them um, trying to, you know, balance their worlds of being a mom and being a wife and being, you know, a professional and trying to teach. And I never really understood how hard that that actually was until I had my first child. And I was like, I don't know how they did that. I don't know how they did that. Well, I, I, I admire women who can pull that off. I, I, I think it's amazing. So, you know, there's some great comments here too, but I, I do want to say um, that, you know, I, I was sitting here listening and I, I want to say that, you know, what you've accomplished and, and I, I have the benefit of already knowing you and, and hanging out on Zoom with you and, um, and, and already loving you, thinking you're, uh, you're amazing. Um, you've written a book. Um, you have an unbelievable, it's literally not even believable, your record in the courtroom. <laughs> I, I, and I, this is a bragging moment for you, and you need to brag and humbly brag. Uh, I, I, it's mind-blowing what you've done. Why don't you tell everybody what your record is in the courtroom? It's 127 and 0. That's insane. Well, but you, you have to understand, I've always really flown under the radar. So that's very uncomfortable um, for me to talk about. And it I sounds know. glamorous, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here and, and, you know, I'm in a dress and it looks glamorous, but it it has it it's been nothing short of a miracle. Uh, and by the grace of God, I, um, <laughs> um, you know, when I first got out of law school, I joined a firm and have the opportunity to be trained by um, uh, by one of the best litigators in the state. Um, he right. was by far very well respected. But you know, I was the I was a the only female attorney. Any any assistant secretary paralegal in that office knew more about practicing law than I did. 
And let me tell you, it was baptism by fire. I didn't. um, He would come in the night before a trial and say, hey, Spurgeon, we got a trial tomorrow. And I'd say, yes, sir. And he'd say, well, tell me what it's about. And he would take my notes and off he would go. And five o'clock the next morning, we'd get in his van and take off and into these God unknown areas of the world. I mean, I, I, and so then after like three or four, we would start off and I would do, uh, he'd do voir dire and I would do opening and he would critique that. And then the, the next time he would do the, I would do voir dire and he would do the opening. And so he did that till he got me through an entire trial and then said, you're on your own. Wow. And so I just always. And this is in the van. Uh, it wasn't like, a van until it like the, yeah, in the, in a gray van. I never will forget <laughs> it. Pick me up. And I, it was really life or death to oh me. My. It was like, it, for us, it was life or death. Now, we would be in some, you know, we would, tra- we would travel two or three hours to and two or three hours from every day. And then we would be in a courtroom, eight, 10, 12 hours, and then get home and get up and do the same thing the next day. And just, wow. it, she was, he was so talented um, that he, uh, and he loved the law and it never, he never shied away from working shoulder to shoulder. Um, and so I never had a problem in working every Saturday and every Sunday to try to, I wanted to be as, I didn't want him to be better than I was. I did not want to get, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, and so when he turned <laughs> on my, you know, alone, I was going to, Harlan and Middlesboro and all of these uh, very rural areas, Leslie County, um, you know, Knott County, all these very rural areas in the state, taking me two or three hours to get there, knowing no one, having to make friends. That was the most important. I think I I learned that as a right of survival Um, when I would uh, when I would get there and uh, being able to make friends and you know, I'd never talk about it. I would finish with the trial and I would go on to the next one and go on to the next one, go on to the next one. So, and in today's world, young lawyers don't have the opportunity to try cases. They don't, at that time, I thought it was being cursed. I really thought that God had it in for me. I did. I didn't understand. It was was a difficult existence. And, um, but I didn't realize that I was being trained for better things. Sure. And um, so now, you know, the day of mediations, young lawyers don't get the opportunity to really try cases. There are some that are five, 10 years out now that would make fine trial attorneys, but have not had the opportunity. Because of settling? Yes, mediation as the world of mediation takes yeah. the risk out for both sides. But yeah, it's settlement. And uh, so my book was written um, at the urging of Don Hobbs, not urging, insistence of Don Hobbs um, that I needed to pay forward. And writing that book came at a very challenging time in my life. Um, and so he was teaching me the uh gratefulness and paying forward you know i i think that um first off like what the training that you received from what was the gentleman's name 
Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt. Um, I've received similar training in, in a sales environment. And I'll never forget this guy that trained me, Dan Fink. And, and like, he just pounded it into me. Like we drive all over the state of Ohio. And I was like, Oh my God, would you shut up? When are we getting to the next appointment? <laughs> because I can remember thinking I've, we've covered this 4,000 times, but you know, looking back, it, that's what, that's what, you know, made me as good as I ended up becoming. And, and I know you can relate to that and, and it, it, that there's nothing more valuable. So, so Victoria asks a great question. I'm going to pop this up on screen first. Uh, I'll, you, you know, she's from Kentucky. Um, so the, 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 the great hollers, holler, hollers of Kentucky. Um, but she says, what is something you would tell young women today? when it comes to chasing success or, or wh whatever, whatever it is, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? From my experience, education is the key. I, you know, I grew up in an era where women did not sit at the table with the men. Whoa. And I always remember um, that I was, I would say to my senior attorney all the time, why doesn't anybody respect me? I mean, we would be in trial and I'd be trying cases against these men and, you know, they'd go to lunch and I wasn't invited. And I, so I would sit back in the courtroom and wow. keep working and pretending like it didn't bother me. And I, I said to, to my senior attorney one day, why, doesn't, why don't they respect me? And he goes, it doesn't matter. Keep your head down. Keep kicking the shit out of them. You'll get the respect. <laughs> Sorry, I hope I it. I'm and you're like, so. and I thought, you know what? I put my head down and I kept going. And I, there, I think what I would say to young women is that there are no shortcuts. You know, if you looked at my life before we came on the air this morning, my life is just like everybody else's. You know, I was having computer issues. I, you know, was trying to get out the door. The dog ran outside after me and I was trying to get in the car. And, you know, so. Uh, my life is just like everybody else's. Um, yeah. And so there are no shortcuts. And we live in a world where um, I have a young daughter that uh, just graduated from law school and she's trying to find her way. And, you know, it took me until 2017 to realize I had no work-life balance. My life was all work. I was so busy with my head in the trenches, down in the trenches, looking down that I didn't look up. And so I think that it's very important for young women, get your education while you're early, if you can. Get your education before you have your children, if you can, so that you have that opportunity uh, when your children are born that you can spend time with them and you're not in that climbing up that hill as much as I was. And I, I remember in 2017, starting as my life transformed in 2017, you wouldn't hear, you would not have heard me having, being this open or having this discussion um, before wow. 2017. You it, it just wouldn't. And I, it's, I think it's important for people to understand that life isn't always pretty and life can get messy at times. But when you find your purpose, your purpose gives you meaning. And so 
you know, I'm still crafting the mind of my young daughter and a few years ago, and I was saying, you know, um, I was trying to talk to her about, uh, you know, because she's hard charging being just like trying to be just like mom. And, mm. <laughs> and I was saying, you know, you need to make sure that you try to have a work life balance, very important to work hard, but you also need to be happy. And what does that mean to you? You need to think about that. And she said, can I ask you something? And I said, yes. And I thought it was going to be a profound moment. She uh, said, what happened to my mother? Oh, Lord. Said, I've spent my entire life trying to be like you. And now all of a sudden you're talking to me about work-life balance. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I was like, oh, Lord, what have I created? And wow. so, you know, and I'm encouraging her just to slow down. She's waiting on the results of the bar. And I've encouraged her just to take this time and to try to breathe. And she's been in school for gosh, longer than I was. And so um, I think that that's very important. I think your mental health and well-being is very, <laughs> I Victoria, is that her? Uh, it is her. Uh, your mental health and well-being is so important. Yeah. And you, uh, you have to protect it. You, you really do. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I've heard so many people, including me, like, Things happen as 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 life goes on, right? And as as we get a little bit older and and hopefully wiser, um, you just start you start seeing things differently. It doesn't even mean you you've, you've necessarily changed significantly on the socioeconomic scale. It's just you start viewing life when you see time running out, and it does happen to it happens a lot faster as you get a little bit older. Like you, you just take, I don't know. Is, is, is the, does that make sense to you? Like you just take on a different perspective. Well, I think that every, you know, I just finished reading a book. Um, uh, another look at this. Oh, well, that's, that's, that is, that's amazing. Wow. I think another piece of advice is to always surround yourself with people who have your best interest at heart, people who are wise in their advice to you. Um, I had a friend not long ago come over and she was really struggling and I wasn't going to get in the mix of making a decision, a life decision for her. But I did say to her, be careful with who you take advice from. Broken people want to keep you broken so that you can be just like them. If you want to aspire and you want to excel, arm yourself with people who have your best interest at heart, people who you want to be. Don't look in your rearview mirror. Look forward for mm. people who can aspire you. And I will tell you that when I had a life shift in 2007, at the end of 17, um, I I didn't know much. I was at the point where I didn't want to practice law anymore. I had worked myself into an oblivion and into the ground and just trying in reality that entire time to please others, not pleasing myself. Yeah. Really losing myself for others. And I it came to a screeching halt and I was forced to do some soul searching and all I know is that I made the best decisions during that time that I could. And that was to surround myself with advisors 
that, and I don't mean people just that you hire, it could be your minister, it could be someone that you respect and you look up to that you know that has your best interest at heart, but people that you can speak to and who will be objective to you. That doesn't mean that they're going to sugarcoat it and tell you what you want to hear. Right. If Don Hobbs asked me one more time what I wanted, I mean, I would cringe when it was time for me to speak with him because he would always say, so what do you want? He always working in, what do you want? What do you want? And I said, if I knew what I wanted, I would be at, I would, I, I, why would I need you? I'd be coaching you, Don. <laughs> and so at one, but he kept on until when I just screamed it out, screamed it. <laughs> he was like, "There, okay, now we have it. And so, and I think through that process, that's when he said, you know, Sandra, you got on this armor and you can stay there, but you know, your greatest gift is to pay forward. And how are you going to do it? And I said, I don't have, what am I going to share with other people? Who wants to hear my story, right? Who wants mm. to do it? And he said, well, what can you do? And I said, I could write a book. And he said, okay, we're going to write a book. And I said, when? He goes, now. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well, I got to think about it. And he's like, no, there's no thinking. We're going, you're going to write a book. And he right. was in touch with people. And in very short order, I had written and published a book. And it was very cathartic for me because the one thing I had fallen out of love with, <laughs> I fell back into love. I, but at this point in my life, I do it for me. Okay. So somebody asked a little, little earlier, um, and I'm, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I could answer this. What is your area of expertise? What in, in, in your, your law practice, what, what area do you practice in the most? Well, as a badge of honor, I, um, my book is called courage to stand. Yeah. And it's for a reason. A lot of people say that they're trial attorneys and there are very few. Being in a courtroom, having 13 people sitting there looking at you, judging you, assessing if you're credible or not is not for the faint of heart. And a lot of people say they're trial lawyers, but, um, you know, so you've got this little nerdy girl who she, all she ever knew was that she excelled in being academically smart, but that was, that's all that she had going for her. And so I learned how to craft stories and I very learned, I learned very quickly with trial consultants, how to craft stories and how to write those stories. So courage to stand means a lot of different things. It means, um, that I have the courage as a young lawyer to go into the courtroom mm. and stand when I didn't think I could do it. Um, the other thing is the courage from being the, to push through glass ceilings when they were man made mm. glass yeah. ceilings that I did would not take no for an answer. So the type of law that I practice, I don't do criminal and I don't do any type of divorce. I do all civil. I, I grew up as an insurance defense uh, young lawyer uh, and I was always on the receiving end. It was like playing football. You know, some people play sports. I litigated. OK, so yeah. being an insurance defense lawyer, you're on the defense. 
Okay, so you're you're reacting to what the plaintiff does. So you're on the defense. You so you you were representing insurance companies or the people. No, I was representing either people that the insurance company hired, or I was representing the insurance company themselves in rural Appalachia. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it was um, it was challenging, but yet I was. You were always. Being on the defense is much easier than being on the offense. And sure. so um, I began in 2000. I always say I've had three major life events that have molded and defined my purpose that I now understand. Um, when I had my second child, Elizabeth, I learned empathy. Um, she was born three months early lived on the brink of death, life and death for weeks. <laughs> and um, I had to learn medicine so I could be able to communicate with her physician. So that's why I give you, that's why lawyers, I was giving you medical advice. Can yeah. So I developed empathy. And so um, I started doing plaintiff catastrophic injury work for people who have experienced the unimaginable. And teaching, um, learning how to craft that story, I remember, so whether it be products liability, whether it be medical malpractice, whether, you know, whether it be a commercial loss um, for folks, individuals that have suffered the unimaginable, whether it be loss of limb, loss of life, economic finance or facing financial disaster, that's what I call catastrophic injury, because those yeah. are life events that I can't replace what has happened and I can't take away what has happened, but they hire uh, someone to try to right that wrong from a financial standpoint to try to get them back to even, right? Wow. So, um, and really that has been uh, by far the most rewarding part of my career is helping wow. those people first to understand they come in and they're so aggrieved um, <laughs> that they feel so alone and helping them understand that they are not unique in their pain, yeah. that my pain may not be the same as theirs, but if you live long enough, we all suffer and endure pain and helping them to understand um, that, that they are not unique for people understanding they're not, in, they're not alone in the world. Yeah. Um, it, it's wow. like you see a shift that's called yeah. being the counselor of law, right? That's the shift, you know, yeah. when you are sitting there and they're so overwhelmed and you can make that difference for them. Um, and taking them and being, you know, being bullied as a child, makes you a protector of others as an adult. Yes, it does. So I've been, I have my career, I've enjoyed being a protector of others and being that voice for when they didn't have one, uh, getting run over if they, if I wasn't standing in their way. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here and, and again, you have a record of 127 to zero. Um, which is unbelievable. And I, I'm sitting here thinking about the first day of a trial and me being the 
the other attorney, <laughs> what I, the opposing, I don't, I, I don't know what you call it. Um, and looking over and going, shit. <laughs> that, that would be my opening statement. <laughs> but, but like, because I just, if I'm going to have anybody in my corner, I would want it to be you. Oh gosh, thank and, you, Ken. And I, I really mean that because I just have this feeling that you leave no stone unturned. Like when you're investigating or whatever, you know, you're, you're, I just have a weird sneaky suspicion that there's nothing that gets, that's left unturned in, in, in your world. I'm a workhorse. I know you are. I'm a I know workhorse. You are. I've always been. It's, it's a lot of elbow grease, but sure. you know, at the end of the day, if I have the ability to stand up yeah, and communicate and effectuate for other people, it's worth it. You know, um, I was telling someone the other day that um, one of the defining, if you think, gosh, who was one of the most, one of the most monumental moments in my life was I was back a few years ago, back in Eastern Kentucky and was arguing in this little rural County with this Harvard grad judge. And anytime I'm in front of him, it's always, it doesn't matter who else is beside me. It's he and I are going at it. Right. And I was, I mean, it was, we were going at it and I, I enjoy it, but I enjoy that with him. And um, so after it was over, this was three miles, three to five miles from where I grew up. Wow. And this, as I was leaving, they were getting ready to have criminal court. And this little woman reached out and touched me and it sort of scared me because I, I didn't know why. And I sort of looked at her and she said, are you, uh, are you a lawyer? And I said, yes. She goes, you're a genuine female lawyer. And I said, that's what they say. And she looked over to her granddaughter who they had for in criminal court, this little girl, I guess maybe, I don't know, they brought her along for some reason. She goes, look what you can do. That's it right there. That was it. That was wow. Yeah. That just gave me chills. That That is it. Yeah. That is it. She had not a tooth in her head. And I could have easily have been in school with her. Wow. I could that easily. I did not stop and get her name. It just sort of uh, um, shook me. And, you know, I never will forget that. That's, I never that, will forget it. That's incredible. Martin County, Kentucky. That's incredible. You know, one of the things I like to ask every guest I have on the show, two questions. Um, number one, in your opinion, look, there's, there's my wife who had her maiden name is in the middle there. Wasn't there a rainy that, that, that tormented you or something? She or, was, yeah. We my first grade teacher. She was love her heart. She had short red hair. I never will forget her. And she was trying. She, I mean, literally I couldn't sit still and I was disruptive. I didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, you know, and I was excited to be there. Um, and so they put me in special ed. They thought maybe I needed to be in special ed. Oh no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious for like a day oh. and a half. And I probably terrorized that teacher so much that they put me back with Miss Rainey. And um, 
you know, I, I remember she would say, Lord child to me all the time. Um, and so, but, you know, once they taught me how to read, I think they were all just like, um, because by the end of third grade, I had to restart those books again. Yeah. Because I had read everything. They were like going to the high school, getting books and, and trying to keep me because all of a sudden I went from being the devil child to being this little angelic figure because I didn't want them to interrupt me. I was busy, you see. I was <laughs> learning about the world. My daughter Victoria said to me once, um, Mom, why do you read all the time? And she was a little girl and she was in the back seat and I was reading something. And I said, you know, because I can be anybody I want to be. And I can be anywhere in the world I want to be. In fact, right now I'm on vacation. I don't even remember telling her where, but I was on vacation somewhere. And she said, that's so weird. So <laughs> now she's a ferocious reader. She's a ferocious Wow. Reader. Excuse me. Incredible. So, so my question for you is, in your opinion, what do you think holds most people back from success and happiness or real freedom in life. And when I say success, I am talking financial as well. Zig Ziglar had a saying, he'd say, you know, money's not everything folks, but it sure does rank right up there with oxygen. Being afraid to get off center. I think most of us, and I'm very guilty of it. So I, I don't want this, this, the pot calling the kettle black at times. Um, but, um, fear of the unknown. I think most of us, I call it carrying the lunch bucket. Um, my dad's lunch bucket, you know, what he had in store for me was, you know, uh, that day in day out. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. If that's what you're, if that's what you want and that's what your purpose is to be. But if you want more, there's always, it's very uh, unsettling. I'm going through um, changes in my personal life right now. And it's, it is unsettling to sure. get off center. I mean, it is, it's easier to stay in what you know. I think that's why so many people stay in bad relationships is that it's easier to, you know what you know, and you don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. So you just stay. Um, but I, understand th only through my life trials and tribulations. This wasn't an epitome that I've had. This has come with a lot of wounds mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, resilience. And I, I know one thing I have me. I have me. It's amazing. And so whatever that takes, and I think I was at, even talking to you yesterday about, some of the hesitations that I had and um, but I know that staying on center is not going to get me where I'm supposed to be. And I know that um, I know I have to go there to be fulfilled. You know, um, yeah, you know, you and I working together, and 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 the conversation we had yesterday. What I what I love about you is that you are. You face it 
you 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 literally face it whatever it is even though it was really uncomfortable you're like all right let's let's do it let's you know so i think that um that's a very admirable quality about you um my second question and and this will be my last question more than likely um you know about i don't know 11 or 12 years ago my wife and I um, opened our very first office together and we had a handful of employees, four or five. And, um, you know, after a few months or whatever, and they were getting paid and paid well. And um, this one guy that worked for me, real big guy comes walking in my office and says, Hey, uh, boss, there's a, there's a guy out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. I'm like, dude, you're bigger than me. Tell him to get the hell out of here. And he goes, well, I would, but um, he has it blocked with his tow truck. And I was like, oh. and I don't know if you've ever tried to talk a repo man out of taking your vehicle. <laughs> but it's a moot point. And so um, I stood in the parking lot watching my, my vehicle get towed away by a repo guy. And I can remember feeling in front of my employees, by the way, that that ha that builds so much confidence in them. And and so I can remember thinking, this is the worst moment and day of my life. And and I thought for a minute, I understand why people, you know, take take their own lives because of the emotional pain and. Um, and, you know, the last year and a half or so has been crazy for a lot of people. And um, so my question is, what would you say to somebody uh, that, that they feel like they've done everything? They feel like they've tried everything and maybe they're hanging on by a, just a little tiny thread. What would you say to them to help them get right here? so they can get over that hump and move on with their lives and create something. Well, I think that's very, it's an interesting point. Um, the suicide rate for lawyers in Kentucky, right here where I'm sitting right now, there've been at least two that have killed themselves that I knew in the last six months. Oh my gosh. And so I, and I, you know, and you just wonder, could I have said something? Could I have done something? And I think maybe that's part of the reason I'm speaking out, not beca not because of them, but because I, I, you know, I don't know how parents have done it the last year and trying to work work from home and try to educate their children. And um, I, I, I just my hats off to them. And you know, but you know, you're everything is situational. Yeah. Everything is situational. And I think you're, you're, you, ha you have to look, you have to be dedicated to your purpose. I think you, if you don't know your purpose, surround yourself with people, aspire that, that you want to be aspired with. And I don't mean like call them up on the phone, get a book, go, you know, if you can't get audio books, the library is still there. Read those books. In yeah. 2017, I was in a very dark place. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about, um, it wasn't about my trial record. 
it was, I didn't know me. Mm. And That's... I didn't realize that. I did not, I didn't know what was wrong, right? And so the manner in which I went about in that crisis is that, A, I did not stay quiet about it. That's very important. Yeah. Is that there are always people that you can reach out to that can, that can, that will hear you. And, and um, self-work, self-help is very important. And that it, because you can literally be in a very dark space. And I only say that because I've been there. You know, yeah. they, I'd lost, I felt like I was never going to practice law again. I didn't like the law. I hated the law. Didn't like lawyers. Didn't want to be around lawyers. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, this I was in 2017. 2017, just a few years ago. Yes, yes. Wow, it, it's just true. And I had to step back, and I had to learn gratefulness. Wow. I had to learn what, and the um, and the way that I that I learned it was to pay forward. Paying forward, you know. Um, I talked to my oldest daughter. Are you volunteering? Where are you volunteering? We need to volunteer for Thanksgiving. Let's just go volunteer somewhere. And she's like looking at me like, "Where'd you come from? What, what are you talking about?" You know, I mean, right. seriously. Some of my best life lessons have come from her. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is, you know, superwoman in my. Uh, in my world, but, you know, um, and, and watching a, a child with special needs navigate her way through life and do it unapologetically and making her way unapologetically standing when others want to judge her, her teaching other people kindness and graciousness in the world. So that would be my advice is, is, is looking inward shifting, put your tennis shoes on 15 minutes, 15 minutes of putting your shoes on and walking down that street makes a shift. So you have to shift yourself by any means that you can get it, but don't stay in that position because you, every one of us is meant to do great things. I, I, I Your wisdom, you know what? I'm sitting here thinking, Sandra and I need to do a show together and just debate about things or something. <laughs> I think it could be entertaining. Your wisdom is, is, is beyond comprehension. It, it, Sandra, you are a very, very special woman. And, and I as well. Well, thank you. But I, I am telling you that like, look, Jay Fox is like, what a blessing. <laughs> so, I mean, this has been unbelievable. And, and I, I, the world needs, needs to know more about Sandra Spurgeon for sure. So, um, I want to say thank you for, um, hopping on today and sharing your, your story and your wisdom and, and what, what's uh, any, any chance of sneak peeks into what the future might hold for you? You know, I am being propelled in this universe. Uh, <laughs> I uh, and I, I met you, and uh, so we'll see in a few weeks. Hopefully, there'll be some information I can share. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that um, I, I think that sharing uh, has become very critical. Yeah. Not 
only for others, but also for me. It, Amen. You know, so you see this, but you also know that there's someone that is just like everybody else in the world and is just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to make it all work. But you're super. I love it. Look what I have for you. Oh, nah. I Oh, <laughs> uh, see, I just, you I just love COVID. you. Look at you. You are, you are something else. You're something else. I, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. And I, I happen to know some of your plan. I, I know what, what you're being propelled to do. Um, and I won't share it, but I, 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 um, man, I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so going to be able to say I knew her when she was just a lawyer. <laughs> oh, oh man, I don't know about that. I just, uh, I just am comfortable in my space and I'm very blessed and grateful that you are in this space with me. Well, I am very, very grateful to, to be in the same space with you. So um, some amazing comments You'll have to go back and read through some of the comments. And this has been absolutely amazing. I'm excited about the future for you and for me. And 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 again, thank you for spending the time with us today and sharing your 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 beautiful wisdom. So if you, you would, I'm gonna end the show, but if you would not hang up, I'm gonna end everything and then um I'll you and I can chat for a minute afterwards, right. okay? All right, friend me on Facebook, everybody. Everybody on here, look up Sandra Spurgeon. I want you to follow her on Instagram and send her a friend request on Facebook. And um, this woman's amazing, as you can see. So make sure you send her a friend request and follow her on Instagram, Real Sandra Spurgeon. So, Sandra, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. See y'all later. Bye bye.